Welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm Sam Vecini. We got a great show planned for you. Dave Dufour is here. We're going to talk about five big ideas and questions that we've seen throughout the course of the NBA playoffs to this point. But before we do that, I got a quick little advertisement for you. The economy's getting back underway and with it, the world of pro sports stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com. And if you're not already an athletic subscriber, for a limited time, you're going to receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. Now, let's get to that podcast with Dave Dufour. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Dave Dufour is in the building. Dave, we have a new name for the NBA G League Select Team. It is called the G League Ignite. How do you feel about these young guys going to the G League and playing for a team called the Ignite? Um, I lay, uh, This is actually breaking news to me. I did not see this. Literally broke it. five minutes before we started podcasting. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What is it? 1990? Yeah. Is it sponsored by Jolt? Well, what was happening? The well, like, do, these, do these players now go immediately to the Heat? Because typically, like, sure. the Heat's logo is a fireball, and before you go to the Heat, you have to ignite something. Like, it just yeah. feels like it feels like the Miami Heat's G League team should be called the Ignite, not this, right. uh, not this uh, G League select team with high schoolers and stuff. Here's what I don't. Why wouldn't they just call it the select team? I, I don't get. What are they going to have a mascot? Yeah, what is the mascot going to be like a lighter? It's going to be a pair, uh, a set of car keys that you can't find. <laughs> right? That's, That's exactly it. It's it. going to, yeah, people walking around the gym whistling, trying to get their key finder to activate. I, I don't know. I, honestly, man, I think I, I've been thinking about this a lot because of the Washington football team. But right. to a certain degree, uh, team names just are kind of silly. You know, <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, Having a nickname or whatever is fine, but how about just, uh, you know, the Los Angeles basketball team? I, I don't have a problem with that because I'm, you know, and, and I get like, it's just not how American sports is operated, but I just don't have a, an issue with not having a nickname. Just who cares? So you Put want it jersey. to, you want it to be like European soccer where look yeah, like it'd be better. Tottenham goes by the Spurs, right? It's sure. Cause it's Tottenham Hotspur. Or you want it to be like Liverpool or Manchester United. Like all right. of those teams Red Devils. have. Yeah. Yeah. Like they have nicknames, but they don't go by the nickname. Exactly. And I think that that would be much cooler. Um, also would emphasize the local roots, which might make fans a little bit more apt to, um, you know, show out and support and things like that. I, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm literally just thinking out loud on a train of thought that i maybe have had twice before all because of this ignite nickname. What a, well, you know what this weird did. choice. It's a weird thing to think about. Is there going to be a G league season next year? Are we sure? 
Oh, no, we, but we have let's, no idea. But let's name, but let's name the select team something. I, I just, I don't know. I feel like there's bigger fish to fry. You, you know what it did, Dave? Hmm. It ignited our conversation. Today. It did. It did. It got me fired up. And the idea behind today's podcast is I'm going to ask Dave five questions about things we've seen in the NBA playoffs. And we're just going to kind of jump off of that. It's not going to be like a wildly long podcast because I've done enough of those recently. We just want to get to the meat of the matter here. We want to talk about uh, five things that we've seen in the playoffs so far that uh, will either be about what we've seen so far or how what we've seen so far can be parlayed into the future. So the first question for Dave Dufour I've got is the Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray leap for real. Uh, Are these guys legitimately going to turn into what we saw from them in this first round playoff series where I believe they combined for 475 points and uh, it was the most points ever scored by a duo in a playoff series is the kind of play that we saw from them in Denver's win over Utah in seven games sustainable over the course of the next few years. Or is this a bubble mirage that uh, is, is just going to continue to look, uh, look kind of silly uh, the yeah. further we go out? <laughs> I doubt uh, these guys are going to shoot like 60% from three or whatever it was. <laughs> I mean, you know, they were basically shooting into the ocean. Um, I don't foresee that being uh, in their in their futures going forward. Uh, listen, both of these guys are good players. Here's the difference. With, with Jamal Murray, the issues are not his ceiling games, which we got to see here in the playoffs. It's the floor games. It's the games where he might right. score like nine points. And if he just turns into a guy whose floor is like 16 to 18 points, we feel completely different about Jamal Murray. So I I hope this is that Jamal Murray because Jamal is very good. I mean, some of the stuff he was doing as a pick and roll ball handler in this series was just, I mean, Steph Curry. Right. Like, um, so I hope that that we're just going to see him, you know, raise that floor. He's already a good player. With Donovan, I mean, he had a really good season. Uh, the stuff that I really liked out of Donovan was that he could turn it up and not only turn it up in scoring, but also usage, right? Like he was he was dominating the ball for them quite a bit. I think that's a good thing to have. It's very valuable. Obviously, he can create off the dribble. That's not an issue. That's the most valuable skill you can have as an NBA player. But on the defensive end, he also turned it up. Yep. And, I mean, he was he was – I know Jamal hit a lot of shots, but it wasn't for lack of defense. The defense was solid. It's just that these guys were both just on fire. I've never seen two guys get that hot for that long. It was insane. So I guess my answer is sort of. It's sort of real in that we saw them do things that we thought they could do, right? Is it sustainable? Definitely. It's for both guys. I think that the big thing is just making a conscious decision to do it. And Furry, he's got an ideal situation because the best player on his team would love to just give all of his shots to Jamal Murray. Yep. Right. Like that's not a problem for Jokic. I've seen that guy take one shot until like five minutes left in the game. So Jamal probably has an easier path to that. Uh, of course, the defensive stuff is is an issue but right we're just talking about scoring 
let let's talk about the few reasons here why you might not necessarily believe in this. I think these guys have gotten better for sure. I think mm-hmm. they took the time off to improve their games and mm-hmm. uh, you know, specifically for Jamal Murray, it's enormous for Denver that he has made this leap because uh, that contract at the end of the regular season in March when play was suspended, that contract was looking a little bit questionable. Like we can just be honest about mm-hmm. it, right? Like that deal looked like it had potential to end poorly because of how expensive it is. Like even if Jamal Murray was going to be a $22 million a year player, which is an exceptionally valuable, like even beyond mid tier starting point guard, maybe slightly above average starting point guard in the NBA, that, that contract was about to be a problem. So the leap that he's made is very real. There are three factors here though, that I think are worth noting. So first, Everyone I've talked to in the bubble so far is just like the sight lines are unbelievable for these guys. Uh, Shooting is a real thing, right? I've mentioned this on, I think, a couple of podcasts now. So I'm not going to like delve deep into it, right? Uh, Getting to play in an arena where you don't have fans, uh, you know, bothering you, where you don't, uh, where you have this like shooting backdrop that looks exceptional, right? It's just going to be a little bit easier to shoot, right? And guys like Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell... I think that they are the beneficiaries of this because the second point here is that they got a fuck ton of open shots. A <laughs> like, ton. These two defenses, I mean, holy shit. Donovan like, Mitchell was legitimately walking into wide open threes. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I've just, until Gary Harris came back, I mean, I really did. I can't believe the Nuggets pulled this off and they wouldn't have without Gary Harris. Yeah, I, I think that Gary Harris's inclusion from injury kind of swung the series. I tweeted that last night. I genuinely believe it because they needed someone to be able to shadow Donovan across the court. But both of these defenses were exceptional in terms of how bad they were. I know that it was 80 to 78 last night, but that was more just like bad shot making to me. And right. It right. being like a tough uh, guys look game seven tight. environment. But, yeah. But also tight. guys look kind of tight, uh, but also, man, they'd been playing game seven basketball for a while. And right. and I also think that the defensive effort from both teams did increase. And, and it was better. And, and Mike Malone put out a lot of defense heavy lineups, which he typically doesn't do. Um, yeah, when, I when think you that play that Michael difference. Porter, Jamal Murray, and Nikola Jokic in the same lineup, yeah, it's just going to be really hard. It's yeah, going to be really hard to defend with those three and, guys. Out and on the court. don't forget, man, Paul Millsap looks like he fell off a cliff. Yeah. So I, I, you know, that really hurt them. I, I don't think that this would have been. I think this would have been over in five or six for the Nuggets if they had just been healthy. And I don't know what's going on with Paul Millsap. I'm just assuming there's a health issue of some sort because he looks like a totally different player than he did in February. And then the third thing that I want to bring up is everyone's kind of talking about how tired these guys are after the games because they go hard. Like we saw Jamal Murray. Yeah. It was a great interview with Scott Van Pelt, right? Where uh, Scott reminded him that they have to play on Thursday again. And Jamal was like, Oh really? Games Thursday. Having said that the wear and tear that these guys are, aren't putting on their bodies by having to fly and travel and get jet lagged and everything. I think that that's playing a role in the offense being ahead of the defense in Mm -hmm. this playoffs guys. Just 
being able to compete in a way that is slightly more unimpeded, I think it really, really helps them hit their ceiling offensively. I mean, look, I, I predicted that the defense wouldn't be any good until we got to the conference finals when we were coming back you know, from the hiatus. I really didn't think that anyone would be defending at a high level, period. I think you've been proven right. Okay, I thought I lost you for a second. Uh, You kind of cut out. Sorry about that. No, I think you've been proven right on that, to be honest. And, you know, we talked about that, I think, on our initial podcast, previewing the Western Conference. Yeah. Right? Like, the the defense was always going to be hard in this. And I think that I didn't really... I believed it, but I think I underestimated how much it was going to be. It tough. just takes so long, man, to get a defense clicking. And and then knowing that guys are going to go harder on the offensive end than they do on the defensive end and being out of shape. Like there were just so many things there that for me, just from experience, said the defense is going to be awful. I didn't expect guys shooting like this, though, because this is not all defense. A lot of this is that the shot making in these bubble games have just, I mean, it's just been Ridiculous. unlike anything ever in NBA history. I've never seen anything like this. Oh, it's been unbelievable. It's been a great uh, privilege to watch almost like getting to watch Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell. Like when I bring up these factors behind part of their production, I don't mean it to diminish the shot making that they had, right? Like their performances were incredible, and they deserve to be recognized as such. But I just think there's a there are a few factors worth noting. And uh, that's kind of where I stand on it. I mean, where mm-hmm. are you on this? Well, again, for, for these guys, I don't think what we saw felt that unbelievable. It was more just unbelievable that it happened for both of them at the same time. Yep. And, and I think that the bubble is sort of the perfect condition for things like that to happen. And in particular, this series with how the, the point of attack defense was so soft yep. both ways. So, look, perfect storm, yes. Repeatable, maybe. I think that both of these guys are totally capable of, of putting up 50-point games here and there during the regular season. I, I, don't, I don't think we saw anything out of them that was that crazy, except how, how many shots they were just throwing up and were dropping in. That's it. I mean, but that's unsustainable for anybody. One game here and there, sure. Definitely not doing it for a week. Number two of our five questions here. Do the Raptors have enough offensive firepower to overcome the Boston Celtics and make this a series at least? Because we knew coming in that the Raptors' question was half-court offense. Right. Like we, we, Mm -hmm. this, this was the obvious question. Can they get enough shot creation? And through two games, Jason Tatum has been by far the best shot Mm -hmm. creator on the court, followed by Kemba Walker being the next best shot creator on the court. So do you believe that the Raptors can find enough offense to make this a series? Uh, Definitely doesn't feel like it, does it? I, I will say Fred Van Vliet not shooting well um, is seriously hurting them. But maybe he's just not shooting well right now. Maybe Boston is bothering him. Maybe it's not just that he's missing yep. shots. I mean, they are long and they defend the three. So 
I, it doesn't feel like it. This was the 16th ranked half court offense in the regular season. That's not going to get it done. And part of that is just they just don't have reliable guys. They don't have a guy that can get a, get them a bucket, like you mentioned, Jason Tatum. They don't yeah. have that guy. Pascal is not that guy. That's exactly who I was going to bring up. I feel like they thought Pascal was going to be that guy. I personally thought that Pascal had a good shot to be that guy. Mm-hmm. I think he can sort of do it. But I sort think of he needs doesn't to be a number get you two. To, to the finals. Right. Yeah. Like sort of doesn't be, get you to the finals. He's going to be better off being a number two than he is being a number one. Because whenever he's a number one, you can sell out and put your best defender on him. And he's not being in, he's not being put into positions if he has the ball in hand and has to create the advantage himself to right. where he can move off the ball, use his cutting, use his off ball ability to create these little advantages uh, before he receives the ball to create offense. So, yeah, I, I thought that the Raptors had a really good shot to make the finals before mm-hmm. the these first two games and look like they lost by three and they led for a good portion of that game yesterday. So mm-hmm. I think it would be foolhardy to write them off. But at the same time, man, it is just really, really hard for them to generate anything that looks that looks easy, right? Like right. everything that they do looks tough. And that's partly on Boston's defense. Marcus mm-hmm. Smart has been all over the place. Jason Tatum has been an underrated help side defender the entire year. He's wreaking havoc for Boston in this series. Uh, Jalen Brown is a good on-ball defender. Like, Daniel Tice was great in game one. Was unbelievable in game one, I thought. And even more than that, because Toronto plays these two guards in Kyle Lowry and uh, Fred Van Vliet, Boston can feel free to keep Kemba Walker on the court without real concern. Because there's always going to be someone for him to guard. A team like Miami, a team like Milwaukee, if Milwaukee doesn't necessarily play, uh, or if Eric Bledsoe isn't healthy or isn't in the lineup at the time, those teams can take a bit more advantage of Kemba Walker on defense. Toronto, they struggle taking advantage of him because they play so small in the backcourt. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm right there with you I, I just think they're they're not going to be able to get it done in the half court at all and Boston is so good at limiting transition good luck there yeah and the Gasol, Ibaka, Gasol and Ibaka I mean I, I don't know if they should be starting Gasol I, I don't think it's a great matchup for him I agree. I, I don't know that he's mobile enough anymore. I don't know if Serge is mobile enough. Like, I, to me, I would be really interested to see them play more lineups that are... With Chris Boucher? No, I was going to say <laughs> okay, play Pascal at the five. That's interesting. Play play Lowry, Van Vliet, Powell. Slide OG up, yeah. Slide OG up the lineup, slide Pascal up the lineup and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Try, get a little try bit to match more match up with Tice. Yeah, get a little bit more creation, force Tice potentially into a slight mismatch. Uh get a little bit more mobile on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. Uh to where Boston might not be able to take advantage of as many uh situations. You know, maybe even like 
Like, look, Rondé Hollis Jefferson gives you some even further concerns offensively. Mm-hmm. But Rondé also gives you a pretty decent matchup on Jason Tatum. That's and true. he's a good cutter that Jason always has to pay attention to, which might take some of his help side attention off of playing passing lanes and being kind of a menace getting into those. So I do think there are adjustments that Toronto can make, but what we've seen so far, I do really worry about Mm -hmm. them just having enough firepower. And I've talked a lot this season about Toronto's defense being to me, the most versatile defense left in the playoffs, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Miami might be proving that wrong right now. Like Miami can just match up with you in a lot of different ways and has a lot of different looks that they can throw at Milwaukee. And they're certainly doing that right now. But Toronto to me had a bunch of different lineups that they could throw at a team like a Boston, like a Milwaukee, uh, like a Miami that I thought would be real problematic for these teams. And Boston hasn't had it easy so far, you know, mm-hmm. r- really like they have to rely on Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker, like really creating shots and creating tough shots and making them, but they just have more dudes that can make and create those tough shots at the end of the day. And like basketball comes down to dudes more than it does X's and O's. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, th- I think Boston, Boston's probably going to win this in five or six. I think that's where I'm at. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I, I was really high on Toronto, and I think that's where I'm at. Me too. Me too. Kyle Kyle Lowry being finished hurts them a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It really does. Uh, before we get to the next question, let's take a quick uh, commercial break. This is the Athletic Football Show. I think every football season is a big challenge in one way or another. Introducing The Athletic Football Show, an all-new podcast with me, Robert Mays, and a team of world-class NFL writers and analysts. We'll feature expert guests and our plugged-in beat writers from around the league. What Patrick Mahomes did in the last nine minutes is just absurd. You can subscribe now to The Athletic Football Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast provider of your choice. And stay with us all season long as The Athletic brings you what matters most in today's NFL. All right, we're back here with Dave Dufour. The next question is number three, and it kind of dovetails nicely off of what we were talking about just a minute ago. It's very simple. Who is the second best player in the Eastern Conference? I feel like coming in to the playoffs, you could have answered this a variety of different ways, and I think that, honestly, a lot of people would have said Joel Embiid. Mm -hmm. I think there's a pretty real case that Joel Embiid is like fourth or fifth right now. After mm-hmm. the playoffs, where are you? Who is the second best player in the Eastern Conference? Well, I mean, it's it's Jason Tatum or Jimmy Butler. Yeah. It's one of those two guys. And, you know, to be honest with you, uh, I think Tatum has been doing outside of that Bucks game, the very first game in the bubble. He's done it every single game. The guy just I mean, the shot making, the shot creation, the defense. He's been doing everything. And then Jimmy, he waited till the playoffs, and then he's just like, okay, I'm Jimmy Butler, which, uh, you know, he's a veteran. He, he earned that, and he's been fantastic. Now, we need to see what, what Jason's going to do as the, the stakes get higher. We know what Jimmy does when the stakes are high. So I, I think that based on play right now, I'm probably leaning Jason Tatum, but it could change in a heartbeat. Who knows? 
It's that close. Yeah, you mentioned those six games that Jason Tatum played in the seeding round. Uh, 25.6 rebounds, four assists while shooting 54% from the field and 49% from three. So far in the playoffs, Jason Tatum is averaging 27 points a game, nine rebounds, three assists, uh, 49% from the field, 47% from three. And a lot of these three-point shots are like just ridiculous pull-up shots. Uh, the, the leap that we saw from Jason Tatum in January, I think it's very clear that that is who Jason is. Mm-hmm. And he has a very real case as a top 10 player in the NBA. Guy might be an MVP candidate next year. I mean, this is like he's on another level right now. He really is. He needs to be in that same conversation with Luca and uh, Anthony Davis and Giannis and LeBron and, and whoever else. I mean, he is. This is who this guy is. He's really good. Yeah, I actually got some shit from people whenever I did the rookie scale rankings and ranked Jason at number three, and I put him in my top tier and said, these are the guys who can be number one options on NBA title teams. Jason Tatum could be that this year. Yeah, like I think Jason Tatum has a very real shot to be that guy. In fact, I kind of think he is going to be that guy at some point in his career. Uh, I think Luke is going to be be that that guy. guy this year. He has a legitimate chance to be that guy this year. They are six wins away from making it to the finals. It's really unbelievable. Jason Tatum is awesome. Uh, The leap that he's made as a pull-up shooter is very real. Uh, The defensive end is just an enormous difference maker. Like, I am pretty sure that if you made me pick one of him or Luka Doncic, I think I would still take Luka Doncic to build around the defense makes that conversation much different though. Jason, because he's a good defender makes this a real conversation. Now he is, he has turned into a guy that is in that conversation. Now it's not Mm -hmm. just, Oh yeah. Luke is the best young player in the NBA. And you know, that, that is what it is, right? It's now Jason Tatum is in that same conversation and deserves to be in that conversation. Mm -hmm. Yep. I agree. Jimmy Butler, uh, I think, is worth bringing up here as well. Uh, Jimmy has just been phenomenal in the playoffs. He does not want to lose. The fact that he is as competitive as he is, uh, our own Sam Amick wrote a really great interview with Jimmy today uh, over at The Athletics stating just kind of everything that Jimmy is about from an ethos standpoint. It it was just a remarkable interview uh, seeing – uh, how much candor Amick got from Jimmy. I mean, there are, I will say, like if I was building a roster, uh, I would want guys like Jimmy Butler. I get that he is very polarizing, but if I'm building a team, that's the kind of guy that I want on my team. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, he's great. Uh, he basically stopped shooting jump shots during the regular season to the point where it was like, Fewer than 24% of his shots happened out of the paint. And now all of a sudden he's just like, okay, well, I'm just going to walk into these threes. He might have made five threes after Christmas. It's crazy. Now he's now he's just knocking them down. Guy's a gamer. Like it's not guy's a gamer. Yeah. Yeah. Guy's a gamer. And then the last guy that was kind of in this conversation to start the playoffs was Joel Embiid. I mean, do you have any strong opinions on the way that 
you build around someone like Joel Embiid? Like, do we think that he is diminished in any way by the way that these playoffs went? Because, like, I, I do have some questions no. about him being your... Eh. I have some questions about him being the best player on a title team just because of the way that the modern NBA is. But in terms yeah. of how good he is as a person, like I'm not as concerned, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'm not concerned. Why can't you just treat him like Olajuwon? Put four shooters around him and, and prosper. I, I just, it's not that hard. I mean, certainly finding four shooters is difficult, uh, especially if you're Philadelphia, but just build a team around him. He he is a dominant force. He's amazing as a post-up guy, which, you know, is unheard of in the modern NBA. It's basically him and Jokic uh, that are the only bigs that do that. He raises your floor on defense and, by the way, gives you a pretty high ceiling, too, because he's so talented there. It, it just isn't that difficult. Spread the floor. Let him eat. Now, he's like the only big I would say that about. But do it. I think I agree with you that he's the only big guy I would say that about. I still have some concerns because of the way that it limits the way that you can build your roster. I think that it, you want to be able to build a roster with as many options as possible. Right. And you want to have as many opportunities available to you as possible because you never know what's actually going to come up. And if you feel like you can't take advantage of one of those opportunities because you have a guy in Joel Embiid that you have to kind of build around, it takes some opportunities off the table, right? That'd be my only concern is that like Philadelphia might not have a full range of possibilities that they can explore as they build this roster. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah, but, but that's Philadelphia. Right, right, right. Like maybe, maybe there's another, uh, another team out there for Joel. Maybe, at some point. maybe, maybe. <laughs> All right. Question Possibly. four. Question four. What is Mike Budenholzer doing? Uh, what is Mike Bolt Budenholzer? That's the, that's the first question, right? Uh, um, I, I don't Mike know, Budenholzer, man. Like, I, can I, can I just like kind of give the two things that are bothering me? <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> yeah. One of them is Giannis and Tedekumpo playing 35 minutes a night. Like, you can't do that in the playoffs whenever you're playing a team like Miami who will try and If he didn't play out. the final 16 minutes, he would have not gotten to 36 minutes. Like, what? How is, the, how is this happening still? Like, I had someone mention to me in, like, my Twitter mentions, like, oh, maybe because he plays so hard, uh, you need him to be fresh and like they think that their only chance of going further in the playoffs is if he's fresh because he plays 35 minutes, man, Giannis is a fucking alien. Like, I don't think that guy gets tired. I've never heard anything to suggest he's not a 40 plus minute a game guy when it, if it needed to be now, if he's Joel Embiid and he can't play that much. Okay. But that's new information, right? He's never been treated that way. Nope. You've never heard like we're watching his his minutes load outside of, you know, getting ready for the playoffs. Uh, yeah, we've never I, heard questions about his poor management. Also, play him the first 24 minutes, not the last 24. Like get the game over early. Right. You fa he fouled him out in the second quarter. He had three fouls and, you know, that was it. Sporadic at the beginning of the third. I mean, you only get 48 minutes. You need your best players on the court for as many of those as you can get, especially against a good team. And Miami, you know, the, 
the the frustrating part if you're watching the Bucks is that Miami has been doing this all year. You know exactly what their game plan is, and you know that it was designed to destroy your drop coverage. Yep. And yet, what happened? Now listen, no Eric Bledsoe is a big deal because Eric Bledsoe is extremely important. But what that does is that bumps everyone up a notch. So you wind up with a lot of Kyle Korver, a lot of Pat Connaughton, and and probably even too much Dante DiVincenzo. That that's an issue. That's a legitimate concern. Miami is a good team. This these games shouldn't be blowouts. Uh, not that this was, but these should be close games. But you lose one of your best guys, and certainly it's going to have an effect. But your strategy just was ineffective from the jump. They backcut them to death. They scored so much at the basket. It was not. It was like watching a different team. Yeah, and this is a Milwaukee team. Their whole basis is defending at the basket. That's period. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's that's all they want to do. And you are one hundred percent right. They backcut them to death. They cleared out Jimmy against Chris Middleton, and Chris is a good defender. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Like I, I, well, Jimmy I hit tough shots. Yeah, Chris forced him into tough shots, but you know what? Like Jimmy was getting into the paint when he wanted to, too. Like he was making tough floaters over Chris Middleton and over Brooke Lopez even a couple of times. But same time, like if something's not working, you got to do something different. And I'm not even saying put Giannis on him because Giannis, we should, I saw Nate Jones, uh, tweet about this last night or two nights ago or whatever. But I thought it was really astute because Giannis is closer to like the Anthony Davis style defender than he is like a lockdown, shutdown, one-on-one, on-ball defender, right? Like that's where he derives his value. He derives his value with the threat of him coming over from the weak side and using his length and using uh, his strength and uh, Mm -hmm. just being a constant presence there. If you take him away from that, I actually think the drop coverage scheme becomes even more ineffectual. Like they actually yeah, need no, no, no. Giannis to be on the weak side whenever Miami, Lopez has to come out. Yeah, Miami would love it if if Giannis was trying to guard Jimmy Butler one on one. Great. Now we have all kinds of stuff to to get to the basket, like all this space to get to the basket. Come on, it's just insane, man. And the people who who say stuff like that just expose themselves as being ignorant of how NBA defense works. And I mean the players that said it too. They clearly just, and by the way, only a couple players that I saw say it, and none of them are good defenders. So I guess, you know, that kind of speaks for itself. I think that there's like a reasonable case to be made. If Milwaukee wants to make an adjustment to play like Giannis at the five and go smaller and, you know, all of that stuff. Like, if you want to try and do that, there might be a case to be made where you're no longer playing your drop coverage scheme. Maybe you're switching all actions because that feels like it's slightly easier to implement on the fly whenever you're totally changing what you do, right? Uh, Maybe then that could be a circumstance where you guard Jimmy Butler with Giannis. But it would involve completely changing what you do defensively And that's what no team wants to do, especially the best team in the league wants to do in the second round of the NBA playoffs. I get that there's an argument to be made 
about adjusting on the fly and having to make adjustments to win. And that's part of, you know, what the question mark is about Mike Budenholzer, right? Like he almost seemingly never adjusts to what other teams present him. But there's got to be a middle ground between totally changing what you do and adjusting slightly within the margins of what you do to what Miami is doing. There's also a little bit of, you know, these, this is carryover from last year, right? Milwaukee doesn't have the athletes, right? So they're trying to out talent you and they just don't have the athletes to help with that part of it. Miami's got athletes. I have some real concerns about the fact that Milwaukee is, you know, made 46% from three in that first yeah. game. Oh, yeah. And, and they still, still lost. Lost by that 10. No, that never happens, by the way. That right. never – they – when when the, – the trick for beating the Bucks is for you to hit your threes and for them to miss. And they outshot the Heat and still lost. That is extremely rare. But this is because Miami is getting so much at the basket. What do you think – the adjustment is for Milwaukee defensively because switch it, start switching. You think they're just going to have, I mean, that is like somewhat of mm-hmm. an abandonment of what they do though. You think they're mm-hmm. just going to straight up have to start switching. I, things? I don't think they got to switch on the ball. I think that they could still do a modified drop where you're switching stuff away from the ball, the back yep. cuts, the, the stuff that was opening up, you know, layups, just get rid of that. Like you've just got to cut that stuff out. And, you know, they're very good at the scram switch, too. So, like, if they do switch, uh, I trust Giannis or Brooke or whoever's back there to to find the proper matchup. I just think that just letting these guys get to the basket is not great. And, I mean, there were times where Pat Connaughton screened his own teammate and, and gave up layup. I, I You've got to do better than what you're doing right now. And what's what they're doing right now is just, you know, it's a layup line. So I think switch that stuff away from the ball. Just make it a little easier on your guys. And then Giannis has got to stay out of foul trouble because clearly Bud is not going to play him if he picks up three fouls. So, and that's tough because he he fouls a lot. He does. He plays so physical. He plays Mm -hmm. offensive fouls, man. He's going to get slide in front of him. Yep. The fifth question here. Yeah, Mike Budenholzer, like my solution is like, Mike, fucking play Giannis. Like, seriously. well, yeah, that's number play one. Play Giannis 42 minutes a night. Like, this is not. Play him 48. I don't care. But play him. Play him. Go down, go down with your best guy fighting and scrapping and clawing. Yeah. Question five. The Los Angeles Clippers and Lakers get an enormous big rest advantage against their opponents now, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think this matters? And are these two teams still on a collision course to play in the Western Conference Finals? So it's a tricky question because there is something to be said for guys like getting their legs under them and being on a roll like you assume the Nuggets are right now. But look at what happens when you've got that playoff intensity for sustained periods. So the Blazers in round one, by the time they had played the Lakers in game one, which they won, they had already played eight game sevens. Think about it. Like they knew, like they had to win every game. Every game was a must win. And they played like it. 
And then they won game one. I'm not surprised by that, that they, they were more ready than the Lakers were. And it was, you know, the Lakers also had a historic poor shooting night. The worst shooting night since tracking data started being tracked as far as expected field goal percentage versus actual. And then the Lakers, hey, we're a better team, and they just played better. But I think that part of that was that the Blazers were so exhausted. I mean, they looked dead on the court. There were times where I thought Nurkic wasn't going to make it back on defense. Like He just looked so tired. So I think the rest advantage in particular is heightened in this environment, and especially because both of these teams are coming off game sevens. It's a big deal. And and it helps that the Clippers and Lakers are both better than the opponents that they're going to face. Right. And they don't have to travel again. Like this is mm-hmm. a situation where these teams that are resting, they're getting like genuine rest without having to fly somewhere. They are right. sitting. They might be fishing. They might be uh, just on a... Uh, you know, I guess like a pseudo beach, given the fact that Orlando is inland, but like they might be by a pool hanging out like they are getting actual rest time to to get better. And I would think that that is going to play a big role. The Clippers have had some injuries as well. Like I would think that, you know, maybe getting a chance to get Patrick Beverly healthy to be able to have him run around on Jamal Murray like crazy, mm-hmm. like that'll be valuable. Uh I think these two teams are on a collision course. I think the rest will help them. Uh, I don't really see a world where the Clippers lose this series just because I feel like they have enough guys to throw at Jokic and throw at Jamal Murray that can slow them down. I mean, like if it's Houston, you can maybe make like a variance case where they just knock down a ton of shots against the Lakers and Frank Vogel for some strange reason, like refuses to go small and play AD at the five. Like, is there a world where you can see uh, see either of these teams losing? Well, I think Jokic is a slightly smaller but better version of Boban. And I and I watched the Clippers struggle with Boban. You know, I, I think Jokic and Zubac, uh, that's a mismatch. And Jokic can exploit that in a way that Dallas couldn't in the first round. And it's not like you can really put Trez on him because. Oh, no. Yeah. You know, he just can't do anything there. So Too small, he'll pass over him mm-hmm. pretty easily. Yeah, yeah. So I do think if if Jokic is able to, to get going and get everyone else going, that's when Jokic is really going. It's not when he puts up 30. So when he puts up like 24, but has like 14 assists, that's that's a Jokic's cooking game. And if he can get some games like that, then certainly they can they could pull this off. Um, I don't think they're going to be able to defend well enough to do it. But if he can do that, he gives them a puncher's chance to be in it from an offensive perspective. The defense is going to be rough, though. I mean, Torrey Craig, Gary Harris, Jerry and Grant, expect to see a lot of that. Those three yep. are going to be out there a ton. And like part of part of why the Clippers, I think, are just so ridiculous and so good is that I almost don't know that it matters who you have on the court defensively. Like they're just Mm going to make tough shots like Lou Williams is a tough shot maker. Kawhi Leonard is a tough shot maker. Paul George is a tough shot maker like. 
I almost feel like Denver might be better off going all offense and just like trying to keep up because like Kawhi, Paul George, these guys are just going to make shots at the end of the day. Like that's kind of just where I'm at on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, they are definitely going to hit shots. Um, I mean, this this series could be a sweep. It really could. Like, the Clippers could sweep them. I think the Lakers are probably going to win their series in four or five games, too. These these have been far and away the best two teams in the West. I, I Like, I'm not going to do to them something that I would, you know, wouldn't do to the Bucks. I have to go on the whole body of work. And I don't expect either one of these teams to really struggle with the next playoff series. Yeah. Houston, the problem is that Russ doesn't look totally right yet. I don't oh, know he's hurting health. them. Yeah. I don't know if it's rhythm. Like, I'm not sure what it is. He doesn't look great. Maybe he can use tonight to get into rhythm. If it's Oklahoma City, I just frankly don't know if that team's talented enough. Well, the Steven Adams looks washed, so I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, not not sure if he can if he can do enough and he needs to play, but I'm not yeah. sure if he can do enough to, to keep them in it. Yeah, like they can't really play Noel because he just isn't very good. Right. And then Baisley is too small to deal with Anthony Davis. Yeah, Adams is going to have to play in Adams. It was funny, like Adams looked great at the start of the bubble and like I thought that his athleticism like looked a little bit poppier and looked uh, he looked a little bit more rested i guess because typically adams does break down by the end of the year Mm -hmm. but he's just not he's not there unfortunately right now yeah dave do you have any other uh do you have any strong takes you gotta get off your chest before we go no not really um you know i'm i'm never gonna overreact from one game i think (laughs) i think the bucks still will probably wind up winning this series i hope uh, not, I don't really care, but you know, I hope because then I don't have to throw out regular season completely. <laughs> well, if you're you going to do it any year this year, this, this, year this might it. be the year that I have to do it. Um, right. but I mean, going forward, uh, so I, you know, I, I think the bucks are going to, are going to be fine and be in the series. No problem. Uh, Boston looks much better than I anticipated. Uh, they have, they're a lot of fun. Um, but no, no real strong takes be honest with you a lot of it is just like okay this is a lot of what we know and then there are some really interesting things that we didn't know like donovan mitchell being able to defend like he did even though you know he got lit up it was you know the process was good yeah i thought he actually defended well Mm -hmm. especially later in that series i think both teams like got better and more engaged later in that series but yeah but both of those guys were just hitting shots. I mean, you know, and at the end of the day, you have to tip your cap. But I thought I thought what he was doing physically on the defensive end was was good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dave, tell the people what you've got coming up. Tell them all the random podcasts you're on. I everything mean, yeah, in the world. Well, everyone knows, you know, all, all everything's at the athletic. Uh, so you can follow me there on that app. And I think you get alerts when I put out something new. Uh, we'll have a new nerder coming out Friday. Uh, should be good. We're going to talk a lot about uh, Moda Keel's great article on Bleacher Report that he just wrote about the art of cutting, which is timely because Miami is one of the best cutting teams I've ever watched. So 
look for that. Go read that article, by the way. Mo's, Mo's doing great stuff. And then, uh, you know, we're, we'll probably dig in a little bit on Utah and, and some of the decisions they have to make because they're in a really interesting place from a team-building perspective. So definitely talk, talk about some of that stuff. Yeah, and the Miami cutting thing is interesting, too, because they have to pay. They utilize so many of those cutting actions coming off of Duncan Robinson, too. Mm-hmm. And yeah. teams have to pay so much attention to Duncan. Coming well, and that's where Bledsoe, missing Bledsoe is, is rough. Is enormous. It's so, so big. But that was Dave Dufour. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do anything you can to support the podcast. We'll be back next week at some point with some more discussion of the NBA, the NBA draft, whatever else we want to talk about. I've also got uh, a really interesting special guest that's been on the show before, but it's been a couple of years. So uh, until next time, though, we'll talk soon. Bye. Hold on. Hold on.